Hello, my name is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to this episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to yet another extraordinary organization serving their community by conserving and preserving our heritage. It could be an organization in your community, in your county, or in your state. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the program. Aloha, everyone. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from historical and genealogical societies and museums across the United States. We believe people want to have a better understanding of these precious organizations, how they're funded, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, what services they offer to the public and their members, and we have confidence that this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join, support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Some historical January birthdays. Happy birthday to Sir Isaac Newton, who was a physicist, mathematician, astronomer, philosopher, and theologian. Stephen Hawking, who was a physicist and author. And J.R.R. Tolkien, who was the author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Here are some thought-provoking facts in history. On January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves. On January 12, 1932, 90 years ago, Hattie Carraway became the first woman elected to the U.S. Senate. On January 17, 1942, 80 years ago, Muhammad Ali was born, and he was born Cassius Clay. He was an American heavyweight boxing champion and one of the most significant sporting figures of the 20th century. He changed the whole game. On January 24, 1972, 50 years ago, Japanese soldier Soichi Yokoi was found hiding in Guam in a cave. He didn't know that World War II had ended and he'd been living in that cave in the jungle for 28 years. How do you know you're a genealogist? Well, you know you're a genealogist if a scanner and archival storage containers are more exciting Christmas gifts than jewelry or football tickets. On our next program, we'll be meeting with the Heartland Museum in Clarion, Iowa, and celebrating a great American, Martin Luther King, whose holiday is on January 17th. You can follow us on preservationoaks.podbeam.com, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Podcast, and Audible, Apple Podcast, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, 
Player FM, and Listen Notes under MicroStream Radio, Preservation Oaks, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, or Sean Radcliffe. You can email us at preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right. This episode is our New Year's episode, or Hogmanay, as they say in Scotland. It was the National Scottish poet Robert Burns himself who published the international standard song Auld Lang Syne. And so, in recognition of those and other interesting facts that you'll learn about in this episode, today we greet Bruce McEwen, chieftain of the Caledonian Society of Hawaii. Here's a brief biography of our guest. Bruce McEwen is the chieftain of the Caledonian Society of Hawaii, Incorporated, a 501c3 educational organization. He joined the Caledonian Society in 1976 and has been chieftain three times and has been in that role continuously since the year 2000. He's also a member of the St. Andrew Society of Hawaii and is a Scottish country dance teacher for the Hawaii branch of the Royal Scottish Country Dance Society. He serves as Vice Chieftain of the Hawaiian Scottish Association, which sponsors the annual Hawaii Highland Games and Festival. Bruce was born in Chicago, Illinois, and has lived in Hawaii since 1968, after graduating from college. He holds degrees from Beloit College, a BA in International Relations, and Western New England College, an MBA, and Walden University, a Ph.D. in Applied Management. After a 13-year career as an insurance underwriter, Bruce spent 29 years as the risk manager and an executive of a Hawaiian tug-and-barge company. He has been an adjunct professor for a number of universities since 1972. He has also been a mediator since 1981. So let's all learn from Bruce McEwen how vital his organization is to the fabric of Hawaii. Welcome to the program, Bruce. Uh, thank you, um, John Thomas. I'm, ha- I'm happy to be here. Well, aloha. What does the word Caledonian mean, anyway? Uh, Caledonian comes from an historical kingdom of Scotland referred to, called Caledonia. Scotland historically had a number of smaller kingdoms that eventually came together to be uh, the country that we have today. I'm not sure it has a specific definition. So it just but, means sort um, of like Scotland. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it's become known as, as a, a sort of a synonym for Scotland. Oh, that's cool. What time or when in history was the Caledonian Society of Hawaii started? Uh, the Caledonian Society was established in uh, 1965, uh, here in Hawaii, we had a group of uh, Scottish immigrants, citizens of Scottish descent, and other people uh, who were living in Hawaii and came together. They wanted to be educated about Scottish culture and to pay homage to Scotland, which was either their place they were born or where their ancestors came from. Okay, that makes sense. I understand the Society sponsors an annual event to honor the Scottish poet Robert Burns. And I wonder, I I just don't know much about Robert Burns. Why is he so important to the Scottish people that they would have an annual celebration? And what can you tell us about the Caledonian Society of Hawaii's annual Robert Burns event? Robert Burns is recognized worldwide by Scotland's National Bard, that is, poet. 
uh, although he died young at the age of 37, oh, wow. he made his mark by writing poetry in the Scotch dialect, which made him a hero to the common folk. He is sometimes referred to as the plowman poet. However, uh, he also lived during the Age of Enlightenment in, in Europe and was recognized by his peers for his intellect and his contributions to society at that time. His poetry and uh, many of his poems became songs. He also collected music to accompany his poems, uh, often poked fun at society, promoted feelings of love, and also promoted pride of the Scots. Probably most important and most notable to uh, most people is that one of his most famous songs, All Lang Syne, Oh, yes. Uh, rings in the new year all over the world and in many different languages. Uh, here in the, uh, in the Caledonian Society, we have a celebration called Burns Night or Burns Dinner, Burns Supper, closest to his birth date, which is January 25th. Okay. We usually find a Saturday and find a location uh, that can eat usually anywhere from 100 to 150, 175 people. Wow. The event anywhere in the world is pretty pretty structured for a Burns Night celebration. Um, they often start prior to the meal with, uh, with somebody saying the Selkirk Grace, which is a grace that, that Burns wrote. And usually prior to the main course, there is somebody who recites and often acts out one of his famous poems addressed to a haggis. <laughs> of course, haggis is the, is the basically the Scottish national um, national dish made from the parts of a sheep that normally people don't eat, the lungs and the heart and the liver and wow, and uh, mixed with oats, uh, usually some some spices and boiled. It, it, haggis is actually a type of, of sausage. Uh, people usually love it or hate it. They people usually often hate the description of it until they taste it, and then yeah, that changes uh, changes their mind. Well, yeah, it's uh, been around for it, for a long time. I would imagine that if it were terrible, you know, it wouldn't have stuck around. That that that's very true. Anyway, during the course of the evening, uh, there are a lot of toasts. Uh, toast to Scotland. Toast to the U.S. Here, are also toasts to uh, Hawaii. Uh, there are toasts to the lads and toasts to the lassies. Then the highlight of any Burns night is, is somebody talking about Burns under a, a, a place on the, on the agenda called the Immortal Memory. And this is a time, uh, a fairly serious time in, in most cases, where people really don't dive into the, into the life, the background, the psyche of, of Burns, and, and answer, actually trying to answer the questions, why is as Burns uh, in his memory? become immortal to the wow. Scots and other people around the world. So that's really good. And, of course, the evening ends with everybody in the room joining hands and singing all Lang Syne. Um, there's pipe music, songs, Burns' songs, and also exhibitions of Scottish country dancing to highlight the evening. So oh, that's a lot fantastic. Of, a lot of things go on. Sounds like fun. It is fun. You guys uh, videotape that at all? Uh, we we don't uh, we haven't. I didn't know if you had any members outside of the Hawaiian Islands. Some historical associations and that kind of thing have members from all over. The Caledonian Society.
Society is really headquartered on the island of Oahu. Okay. Uh, but we do have members on some of our, our neighbor islands, and we do have members on the on the uh, uh, usually more on the west coast of uh, of the the mainland here. Okay, fantastic. So they either fly out there or or they really don't participate. I, I didn't know if COVID, you know, COVID has forced a lot of historical societies to start doing virtual events and that kind of thing. Well, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's exactly what happened. We were fortunate uh, because uh, Burn celebrates in, in uh, January that we beat the COVID in 2020. Uh, but in 2021, uh, we did have to go virtual. And um, back, we've board has has already set us up to go virtual again in uh, 2022. Yeah. Having said that, we try to follow, uh, you know, this a similar a similar type of program. And we you know we do have Zoom set. We use Zoom so we can uh, accommodate a lot a lot of people from anywhere in the world. Yeah. And what we've done last year, and again this year, is we brought in uh, Scott to be a, a keynote speaker. Um, we had um, there's a Scotsman from Dundee who lives in Florida, Bill Mullen. He's an entertainer, and so he zoomed in and, and uh, basically uh, emceed and did the immortal memory. This year, we're already setting up uh, another Scott who is in Dundee, Scotland, a man by the name of Billy Kay uh, has agreed uh, to uh, participate and do the immortal memory. So that's great to have a a Scott again, participating in an important part of the program. Well, that's fantastic. So the night ends at midnight or the night goes on? Because we have speakers who are coming from, uh, from a distance last year uh, because he was in Florida we actually held the Burns lunch afternoon. Uh, okay. But this year, or 2022, because our speaker is in Scotland, we'll actually be doing an evening one. Uh, Burns and I usually, the, the the traditional in-person one usually starts about 5.30 in the evening. It wraps up about 9 or 9.30 in the evening. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you waited till midnight to sing Auld Lang Syne. No, no, Auld Lang Syne can really be sung anytime. It just so happens on New Year's, it's when the, the, the move from uh, from the old year to the new year. Uh, but for, you know, Auld Lang Syne for the Scots is, is sung at many types of celebrations. Yeah, I, and I'd like to tell the listeners, you know, if you go and actually read the Auld Lang Syne poem, and, you know, that's supposed to be the, also the song put to music, it has a lot of verses in there that you don't generally hear singers sing. They usually stay away from the harder verses. I'm not quite sure why. The reason why is because Auld Lang Syne is written in the Scots language. Yeah. Scots dialect. So people don't know how to pronounce some of those words, and they don't even know what those words mean. Right. So, so it's easier just to stick with especially the first verse and sometimes the last verse. Yep, that's what a lot of singers do. Now, Bruce, I understand that the Society took on a history project, an oral history project. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, This is uh, really close to my heart since I was part of this project. But from 
1976 to 1992, which of course is a long period of time, mm-hmm. we entered into a, a uh, an oral history project. Uh, those of us who did interviews got some training, and we identified Scotts-born Hawaii people, or or those whose usually it was the parents uh, who were, who came from Scotland. And so we ended up with 26 oral interviews uh, that were taped and transcribed. I wrote a, a short monograph in 1986, sort of summarizing uh, what we'd done or been doing. Uh, but in 2000, uh, the Caledonian Society uh, had a book edited by one of the local historians and published called The Story of Scots in Hawaii. Oh, cool. Which has become a very popular gift that our members have sent to their families who are interested in whether the families are uh, part of the, the project or not. Um, at least they have a feeling of the, the Scots, the importance of the Scots to Hawaii. People go to our website, scotsinhawaii.org. Um, they can actually find a form and fill it out, and uh, we will mail them uh, a book. The, the interviews... And the transcriptions were given to the local historic society too, so they're they're available for anybody who uh, has an interest in in researching um, our project. The interviews were like somebody saying, "Here's my life," or or what did they focus on? Well, an, an oral an oral history project, you know, is fairly structured with a set of questions uh, that you try to uh, uh, make sure you ask all of the uh, the interviewees. We ask primarily, you know, about their, their background, whether they, you know, if they were born in Scotland, um, how they came over here, if they came over with their parents or on their own, depending on their age, and then as much as possible about their uh, their careers here in Hawaii. Okay. If it's uh, um, a descendant uh, rather than a, a Scots-born person, we ask them, Things about you know, did your family maintain Scottish traditions? You know, after they moved here, and you know, things like that. Give them they're 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 all pretty personal. You know, some people have have better memories and more details than than others. But we did, of course, have enough to get the book published. What a wonderful thing that a family who is descended from one of those Scots in Hawaii can go back and listen to their ancestor telling about their history. That's wonderful. Yeah, we, we believe it's been a great contribution. Yeah, it sounds like it. What is the mission of the Caledonian Society of Hawaii? What are you trying to accomplish? Well, the original beginning of the Caledonian Society and, and the original statement of purpose is pretty long and some of it's no longer valid, but right now uh, I can uh, give you the, the mission in, in three basic points. Uh, one is to provide an organization open to all persons interested in things Scottish okay. and who have a common goal of celebrating and preserving Scottish culture to promote and encourage research and study of Scottish culture. And we have a Scottish education research grant for that purpose. Oh, that's great. And to inform and educate the general public about Scottish culture uh, where we attend multicultural events, there's an annual Hawaiian Scottish Association Highland Festival and Games for which we provide the cultural exhibit. Well, fantastic. So what does Scotland have to do with Hawaii anyway? That's probably the key question that listeners are asking. That's interesting. 
many of the original Scots to Hawaii came over uh, on, on ships. They were sailors or other crew members or officers, and uh, the ships started in Hawaii and, you know, stopped in Hawaii, and they decided to stay. So the, the original impact really was with the, the, Scottish, the Scottish kingdom, with the Scottish government. Okay. There was a, a, a Scotsman called Robert Crichton Wiley, who served in the in the kingdom government under three different Kamehameha kings. They were it was very influential in establishing Hawaii's position as a recognized kingdom in the world. Because of coming from Scotland, uh, you know this is somebody who understood the European type of government, right? And what European the, the heads of of uh, European countries thought about in terms of recognizing other kingdoms throughout the world. So that was important. In that same period of time, uh, there was a, a Scotsman named Archibald Scott Cleghorn from Edinburgh who intermarried with a Hawaiian princess. Oh. He became the father of Princess Victoria Kailani, and uh, the Victoria comes from being named after Queen Victoria. Oh. Well, she has uh, uh, many Hawaiian names uh, tacked on there, but Princess Kailani uh, is a very important historic person, and she's celebrated by uh, the Caledonian Society as well as the Hawaiian community because she's uh, half Scottish, half Hawaiian. Anyway, Claghorn was also in the in the uh, kingdom uh, government as, a, as an advisor and held various uh, government positions. Probably as important uh, from the mid 1800s until the early mid, about say the early 1900s, growth of the sugar plantations here in Hawaii. And interestingly enough, the equipment used to run the uh, sugar plantations were equipment engineered and manufactured in Scotland. Ah. So uh, representatives from Hawaii, and many of those representatives were Scots who had already moved over here and had taken positions uh, with the uh, with the sugar plantations, usually as managers. Uh, but they would go back to Scotland and help to recruit Scots who were familiar with the machinery and had agricultural backgrounds and brought them over uh, to work on the plantation. And the, the Scots were the the, the technical people and managers of plantations. Wow, that's cool. And um, under the, the southern coast of the island of Hawaii, uh, south, of, south of Hilo, is referred to as the Scotch Coast because uh, many, in fact, most of the plantations uh, during that period of time uh, were managed and had uh, important Scots involved in the success of those plantations. As a matter of fact, there were Scots who were involved in the plantations on all of the, the major islands, uh, Maui and, and Kauai, as well as the island of Hawaii. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, that's very cool to learn. Thank you for sharing that. I was wondering about the princess. The princess, I had read that the Caledonian Society, as you mentioned, helped you know, at the palace even today. And I think the palace today is a historical site, if I'm not mistaken. Annually, the Scots uh, have a something called the uh, 
Hawaiian Scottish Association, which is a collaboration uh, between all of the Scottish organizations here, in which they put on a Highland Festival and games. And generally, during the week of the games, the Caledonian Society sponsors a, a tribute, what we call the tribute to Princess Kaiulani. Princess Kaiulani, along with her father and mother and many of the royalty, are buried in a mausoleum in, in uh, Uwano Valley, which is happens to be close to where I live. Okay. And so we have, there's a chapel there, and so we have a, a service there and usually bring in somebody, mostly of Hawaiian background, who can speak about uh, Princess Kaiulani and uh, what she meant to the Hawaiian people. And, of course, we you know, talk about why she's important to the, to the local Scots because of her, her heritage. That is um, very special. And then, uh, then everybody goes down to the mausoleum in a reverent manner, and then we have uh, a piper there that's playing the pipes along wow. with the, uh, that latter part of the ceremony is going on. Uh, yeah, but she, her birthday was in October... Uh, she passed away at the age of 24, oh, uh, unfortunately, in, in March. But the actual celebration is really related to when the Highland Festival goes on. How did she die so young? She was schooled in Britain and Scotland yeah. uh, from a, as, a, as a teenager. And with the overthrow of the uh, Hawaiian Kingdom in uh, 1890. Three, she came back from from Europe to try to influence the U.S. government to not support the overthrow of the kingdom. Yeah. Unfortunately, that didn't work. But because of the, the loss of the kingdom, it moved to a constitutional government. Uh, the then king, Queen Liliuokalani, who was Kailani's uh, aunt, was dethroned. And, of course, Kailani, who would have been the heir apparent, once uh, Kalani uh, gave up the throne, would have become queen. Uh, so it was a, it was a, um, a very uh, depressing time for her. So she, she had passed away in 1899 uh, when she went down to the island of Hawaii to be with some friends and was caught out in a, in a storm. And uh, I guess what they refer to as something called pleurisy, Oh, yeah, that's a long yeah, thing. And, and uh, so she came down with that. She just came back to uh, to Honolulu, but uh, he could not be saved, and she passed away in her, her family home in, uh, in Waikiki. Oh, my goodness. Boy, so young. I mean, that's very honorable. It's very good, good stuff every year. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's important uh, for us. Uh, and we had the Caledonian Society to make sure that, from on a community basis, that we are recognized as a an organization uh, that does value, uh, you know, the Hawaiian culture as well, well as the Scottish culture. And we try to part, uh, you know, participate in um, virtually all of the multicultural events that are held here. We're one of, of course, you might uh, understand this, but we're one of the few uh, Caucasian cultural organizations uh, in Hawaii to represent our heritage. Well, fantastic. 
At your Highland Games, I know that, you know, from everything I've seen, some of the Polynesian folks, which I think would include Hawaiians, uh, the men get fairly large. They're like very well built. And <laughs> it, do they participate in the Highland Games? Some, some of them do. Some of them do. Interestingly enough, what we find here, remember, Hawaii has a, has a large military community. Oh, right, yep. You know, of all the services. And those of people who are in the service uh, who have Scottish, Scottish lineage often are interested in becoming, uh, participating, coming to the, to the festival and participating in the, the Highland Games because of that. And so they're happy to, uh, to see that way out here in the Pacific is that, uh, the, 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 the Scottish games are, are available to them. Oh, that's fantastic. So they're, they're, the answer to that is there are usually probably several military people who are participating, as well as maybe a few Hawaiian people, but mostly the military. Okay. I bet that's a lot of fun. It's, it's fun, and of course, the highlight of the Highland Games, people want to see the tossing the caber. Yep. Uh, which is, you know, people refer to, oh, how, how can you toss a telephone pole? <laughs> Most of these, of course, are, are, are trees of different sizes that, uh, uh, that are used as the caber. Wow. I know we're recording this program on November 30th, and as we were chatting before the show, you mentioned that today is a national holiday for the Scottish people. Can you tell us more about that? St. Andrew's Day is recognized throughout the world primarily in Scotland, as a national day of remembrance. The history, of course, is, is based on, in part on legends, since there aren't a lot, weren't a lot of uh, uh, historical records. But there was a king uh, named Angus, uh, who was the king of the Picts and Scots, again going back to remembering uh, what I said earlier, that Scotland was made up of small kingdoms. Yeah. That uh, eventually became, you know, Caledonia. Uh, anyway, so he was fighting off the Angles. People who know the history of, of Britain know that the Angles uh, were from uh, Germanic people uh, that invaded uh, Britain. And so they were having a battle in Scotland, and uh, Angus thought that the Scots might lose. And so he prayed to St. Andrew that if the Scots were able to win uh, the battle that uh, he would make uh, St. Andrew the patron saint of Scotland. Oh, cool. As legend has it, the battle continued. Uh, the Scots were victorious. And this, the sign uh, that led to the victory and spurred the, uh, um, the Scots and Picts uh, was in the sky. Of course, if you've ever been in Scotland, uh, blue sky. Scottish blue sky is just beautiful. But there was a, a, a white cloud formation in the form of an X-shaped cross, which huh. was the, 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 the type of cross that, that Andrew was crucified on um, when Christ was crucified. Okay. Um, and so that spurred the Scots on. They won the day. St. Andrew then became the, the uh, patron saint of Scotland. And, Andrew, of course, or Andrew, before he became a saint, was a fisherman. So there are a number of countries in in uh, in Europe besides Scotland that has 
and who is their patron saint. So the Scottish flag, the Scottish national flag, is in fact uh, what I described. It's a blue, Scottish blue background uh, with the uh, St. Andrew's cross on it. Uh, the Scots refer to their flag as the saltire. Um, wow. And it's a very important part of, of uh, you know Scottish Scottish culture. Now, did you say salt tire? Salt tire, yeah. Okay. It's S A L T I R E. Oh, thank you. And and we know we can't attribute those cross clouds in the sky to contrails from airliners. Not back then, right? Not back then. You can't. No. Uh, just as a, as a quick aside. Um, I spend a lot of time on the island of Isla in Scotland, and I think about two or three years ago, I was out walking and looked up at the sky and actually saw a cloud formation similar to this. Wow. And took a picture of it, so I have it somewhere in my files. Well, that started the whole Scotland, you know, the whole Scottish history rolling in terms of bringing people together in Scotland. That's, that's exactly right, yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, I'm sorry to interrupt, Bruce, but it's time for our first break for a few minutes. Listeners, we'll be right back with our guest after these important words. We'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. Is picking up a strange signal. Here, sir, you better take a look at it. You're listening to MicroStream Radio and Preservation Oaks, the world's only program communicating the value of museums, historical, and genealogical societies across the USA. The most interesting show on the planet. You're listening to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe. The program where there's always something new. 
This is David Reed, Chief Curator with the Reno County Museum in Hutchinson, Kansas, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. If you'd fancy being a guest on Preservation Oaks, send an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. I, and whilst you're at it, you might as well just go ahead and donate to the program, either by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash microstreamradio or a single donation at paypal.com and sending a wee bit of a gift to our preservation oaks at gmail.com. Either way, we thank you so much. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Again, that's preservationoaks at gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for listening. You can comment anytime about the show or send suggestions by emailing preservationoaks at gmail.com. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Mr. Bruce McEwen, the chieftain of the Caledonia Society of Hawaii. Bruce and I were chatting about St. Andrew's Day and how important it is to the Scottish people. Bruce, um, would you like to finish your thoughts on that? Thank you, Sean Thomas. I definitely would. Just like Burns Nights are celebrated all over the world, so is St. Andrew's Day. And there is a uh, another organization, Scottish organization, called the St. Andrew Society. And you can find St. Andrew Societies, again, almost anywhere in the world where there are Scots. Uh, we have the St. Andrew Society of Hawaii here, and they actually take the lead uh, for the St. Andrew's Day celebration. Okay. The celebration focus is on something called Kirkin of the Tart. Uh, which means blessing of the tartan. And uh, it just so happens that in downtown Honolulu, we have a St. Andrew's Cathedral. And so, as you might expect, St. Andrew's Cathedral is where the Kirkin of the tartan is uh, normally held, although last year and this year we're doing it virtual. It has been said that Kirkin of the tartan is really a, a, an American um, uh, invention. Okay. Um, but I've been in Scotland and participated in, in a Kirkin of the Tartan uh, in Scotland, so I know that uh, it does take place there uh, in some places. Anyway, what happens is the uh, officiant, that, you know, usually the head of the, the local church, does a uh, has a normal you know sermon in which he or she happens to be a she right now talks a little bit about St. Andrews and the importance of St. Andrews to the Scots, and then everybody in the, the congregation has come dressed in their tartan. Uh, men 
usually in kilts, ladies and sashes. And so they come up to the uh, the front um, of the, I guess, nave. The, the officiant then says uh, a blessing, which I think has been sort of codified now. And then you go around everybody to everybody who is uh, up front, and they say out loud uh, the tartan that uh, they're representing um, in the, in the service. So it's uh, it's it's quite a quite a moving service. And of course, being Scottish, there's a piper there. I usually pipe in the beginning of the service and at the end of. Oh, that's nice. That's very nice. Thank you for sharing that. You're a kid that grew up in Chicago. Your surname would indicate that you have Scottish heritage. How did you get to, or how did you come to do what you do now? I, as I said, I, you know, I have a Scottish name, and my great-grandfather came from Scotland. So I knew as I was growing up that I had you know, Scottish blood and Scottish ancestry. Yeah. Even though I've been to Hawaii for a long, long time, um, I came in 1968 here, that I really hadn't gotten focused on uh, Scottish things. But in 1976, I became aware that the Caledonian Society exists. And so I joined. Shortly after that, I became involved, as I said earlier, in the Oral History Project, which was an excellent learning experience. Yeah. And, you know, over the years, I just learned more and more about uh, my Scottish culture, Scottish heritage, uh, more than I'd learned in my own family. Um, I was elected uh, chieftain for the first time in uh, 1987 and served four years then. And then I was reelected again in 2000 for another four-year term. And then I was reelected again in 2007 and have been the chieftain ever since. My current chieftainship will end in 2023. Wow, that's cool. So you can see I've been uh, deeply, uh, deeply embedded in the uh, in the leadership of uh, of the Scottish Caledonian Society, which is the largest Scottish organization. I do belong to the St. Andrew Society, as I mentioned, and I am also a member of and teacher of the, for the Royal Scottish Country Dance Society. So I have immersed myself in Scottish culture, uh, traditions, and local activities for uh, many, many years. No kidding. That must be so rewarding. And to keep that those traditions alive, you know, is just amazing. What's next on the horizon for the society? We briefly mentioned COVID earlier. So in-person events, uh, are definitely on the number one list to get back. We had hoped that we would be back in the in-person events uh, this fall, but that's not happening. So COVID has derailed us. However, it helped us because our normal in-person events, because they're pretty labor-intensive to set up, were usually about every other month. But in the virtual environment using Zoom, we've been able to have monthly events, oh, cool. uh, you know, for, for now going on uh, uh, almost two years. So we will be going on two years in, uh, in 2022. But what we did link on at the end of 2020 was a theme called Scottish Heroes, in which uh, we have encouraged our members to search various resources and 
find somebody um, either contemporary or historical or in some cases even some characters out of out of Scottish novels uh, that they are, would be interested in and would research and make a uh, presentation. And most of these are PowerPoint presentations to members on a, again, a monthly basis. So at the end of December, we're looking at Scottish Heroes number 10 coming up. It's been uh, embraced enthusiastically because of uh, COVID again. Um, we had under our Scottish Education Research Grant, uh, we had awarded it to a, uh, a young woman, high school student, who was going to Scotland uh, with her uh, high school theatrical group oh, to nice. uh, put on a play, and of course those at the Scottish Fringe Festival, but that was derailed. So being able to have her hook up again, hopefully in summer of 2022, and having maybe some more young people um, coming up with Project Surge, what we call Surge, is a, a grant. It originally started out as a scholarship, but the purpose has always been for a, a young person. We're talking about somebody from 18 to 26, usually, yeah. who wants to learn about something Scottish history, Scottish culture, Scottish traditions. You know, we've had a wide range of people doing this since we started it in the um, late 1980s. And so we decided to award it as a grant, since it really wasn't tie, uh, tied to academics, but to a, uh, a cultural project. Yeah. And so people uh, can submit uh, project ideas to us, and then we have a committee that uh, reviews them, make sure they meet our uh, criteria, and then uh, we give them uh, the award and most of the students do their projects, which normally includes travel to Scotland in the summer between the, between semesters for either high school or college students. And so we do want to get back to that. We think that's an important part for the community. Yeah, what an and, opportunity uh, you know, for not someone. Everybody, not everybody uh, comes from Scottish background. This is, again, one of the community outreach things that if anybody interested in learning more can do that. We had a a uh, Hawaiian man, young man, uh, a couple of years ago, that went to Scotland to work on an organic farm. He was a <laughs> farmer here. Coincidentally, Hawaiian Irish descent. You know, he enjoyed the time, and we were happy to support his project. Speaking of younger people, I mean, again, the Caledonian Society is now 56 years old. Most of the original members have passed away, um, but we still have a few people who were children of some of the original Scots who are still is still part of the, the society. Uh, but like any long-term organization, especially nonprofits like we are, uh, you know, we need to, to bring younger members in to uh, take over, you know, and part participate. If, they, if we can get them to participate in some of our events or become a surge you know, recipient, then we hope that that will hook them enough to really want to participate in the in the community and in the organization. I think that's a um, great strategy. It, yeah, well, we do have to have a transition of leadership. You know, I've already indicated how long I've been the chieftain. Uh, we do need to, you know, get uh, new leadership in and, and younger people, and uh, we hope we can come up with uh, the right formula 
Everybody's sort of looking for that key in the historical society and genealogical society community. They're all looking to get, you know, younger folks. And it sounds like you've hit upon a pretty good strategy for that. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing about the Scott, again, um, when I talk about the Scots, I'm talking worldwide, but in particular in Hawaii, they intermarried with local people. And so there are a lot of people of mixed race here who have Scottish Scottish blood, Scottish heritage. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, have, a, we have a lot of people that come and say, you know, I know my, my grandfather, my great-grandfather was part Scottish, and they just may be a Hawaiian person or a Chinese person, Japanese person. And they want to now learn more as they get older, learn more. So, you know, we're we're a resource for them uh, to come and learn about the heritage. You know, we're hoping that, that uh, we can continue to open that niche. Yeah, that's very cool. Now, you've had oral histories. You've had a lot of time with the society. Do you have any funny or interesting stories from your society's history? Well, I have a, a couple of things. I, I'm probably more interesting than funny. One uh, one of Burns's long poems is called Camel Shanter. Okay. And uh, one year we had students from Windward Community College uh, under the, uh, uh, the direction of their theater instructor, who happened to be part of Scottish Heritage, came to Burns Night and acted out uh, the, the plays took the took the, the, the poem and actually turned it into a, a play and it was very effective, very well received. And uh, you know, so we we had some some of the students uh, continued to uh, uh, to be interested in our organization. Every year, uh, as part of Burns Night, we do an award of Scott of the Year. This is somebody who either has Scottish heritage or has interest in, in, in Scotland and Scottish heritage and traditions, but is also recognized for contributions to the community at large. Not necess- That person doesn't necessarily have to be a member of the Caledonian Society. Oh, that's nice. Although probably the majority of, over the years have been, or else they've joined the Caledonian Society after uh, being awarded Scott of the Year. For a number of years, uh, we were you, the MC of Burns Night uh, was one of uh, a local personality, TV personality, who was a reporter on TV. So he was doing the MCing one year and was introducing the Scott of the Year. And most of the time, if a person who is going to be Scott of the Year is we know is going to be attending, that person does not know he or she is going to be awarded and faded as the Scott of the Year yeah. for the coming year. So in this particular year, the Scott of the Year was the MC's mother, who happens to be one of the original members of the Caledonian Society. <laughs> she was flabbergasted that her son is recognizing her. Oh, that's great. So that, so that was great. Also, what, what, one other thing, is, um, we have a term here called chicken skin, and you know, this is when you have what people in the mainland often know as goosebumps. Yeah. And for a number of years, we held Burns Night at, at a country club. And so we had the pipe band come marching over the hills on the golf course playing. And, you know, that people hearing the pipe music 
in the great outdoors and, you know, would just give, they give us the, you know, the, the chicken skin feeling. So <laughs> that, that was a highlight uh, of uh, some of our burn tonight. Pipes are wonderful. I love listening to bagpipes. They're really nice. How does somebody become a member of the society? And is there a requirement that they have to be Scottish to join? Uh, no, there's no requirement. The easiest way is if you hear about us from a Caledonian member, then they will tell you about the society. And our website is scotsinhawaii.org. We yeah. are a, a 501c3 charitable organization. There is an application there. Basically, the application is name, address, contact information. If they have Scottish heritage, they can indicate their clan or family affiliation. And then if they want to participate, you know, what things, activities they might want to participate in. But they don't have to be. Just a a quick interest story. One of our early members was a Scotsman, married to a, a Japanese woman, and they had two children, obviously the part Scottish. Uh, he unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, but she and her children have continued their membership uh, in the Caledonian Society and are faithful, you know, faithful uh, uh, members. And so you know, I think that once a family learns about the importance of the Scots in, in Scottish traditions, they'll, they'll stick with it. Yeah, it's not only just important to recognize the Scottish heritage, but it's also part of the royal family, part of the island's history. It's embedded in every aspect of Hawaii, unlike what I knew before you helped us learn that. So yeah, there's a lot of fun things going on, a lot of traditional things going on. I would expect that everybody would want to join the Caledonian Society of Hawaii. Well, we do have, at least on paper, just shy of 150 members. Cool. Uh, but again, as any organization, it's getting your members to participate in your events that uh, can, can always be a challenge. Yep. And maybe it's time to broaden out and get non-members, and, and you're doing that. That's on our agenda. You mentioned a lot of different things, the Highland Games that you sponsor, the Princess's Traditional uh, Recognition the surge grant to allow young people to do various projects, the Scott of the Year Award, the Burns Night Annual Event, and I think you mentioned monthly events that occur as well virtually. What other kind of philanthropic work does the society do in the islands? Is there anything else? I don't know if we call it philanthropic because we're, again, a nonprofit, so we provide people who to donate to us to keep our programs going. But we do want to participate as much as possible in, in any multicultural events that take place. I mentioned oh, that yeah. a, a, earlier. We've had members who maybe either have <coughs> kids in school or maybe are teachers. And many of the schools, primarily elementary schools, have you know multicultural days. Uh, so we'll be contacted to say, can you have somebody show up in a kilt or somebody uh, who can oh, uh, cool. show up in, in uh, pipes? So we, you know, we do want to participate in that as much as possible. Had a few events at the uh, at the college level uh, again, where we were able to provide uh, Scottish country dance uh, exhibitions and yeah. getting people involved in in knowing what the Scots 
do for social dancing. Okay, I have no idea what a Scottish country dance is. Is that like a jig? When people understand Highland dancing, which is competitive dancing, they see that in the Highland games and that. Yeah. Scottish country dancing is social dancing. So together, um, a, three, a man and a woman together? Of, yeah, it's not dance uh, like we might know it in necessarily in couples, but in sets of couples, usually a, a man and a woman in usually straight lines or circular sets. Okay. You know, lady and the man are partnered together to do the dances. You mentioned jig. There are three types of dances. And of course, this is based on the, the music or the tempo of the music. Right. Uh, jigs, jigs and reels okay, yeah. are the fast dances. And uh, in, uh, unique to Scotland is something called a stress bay, which is a slow tempo dance. Okay. I, when I'm explaining it to people, so again, I'm a Scottish country dance teacher, um, I try to get them to equate it with waltz, so the tempo is not exactly the same, but it is a slow dance. Scottish country dances are challenging because uh, unlike their um, American counterparts, like square dancing, you actually have to know the dance. The dances aren't called out, so you have to memorize the dance, oh. the dance formations. Very cool. But it is fun. And getting back to Scott's having fun, yes, the country dancing is, is a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds good. Do you uh, publish a newsletter from the Society? Uh, we do. We have a newsletter that comes out uh, every other month, so we have a, it covers a two-month period, so we have uh, six editions a year. Oh, very cool. And it goes to our members. Most of them receive it electronically, although some people still want to get a hard copy. So we do mail hard copies. And many years ago, uh, we submitted an entire collection of our newsletters to the main uh, library oh, in uh, downtown great. Honolulu. And they continue to get uh, uh, updated copies of our, of our newsletter. That's fantastic. I was going to ask about that. And and that's how you keep the community and your members informed about the progress of the society in achieving the mission, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. So our newsletters really have two purposes. One is to you know highlight upcoming and recapping events, but it also recognizing members for contributions, but it also tries to include some type of educational piece, educational article, uh, because, again, that's our primary purpose. We're, we're an educational uh, organization. Right. Well, I noticed on your website you have a whole tentative schedule for the year, and all of these activities on here, and I, how many are there? Like nine activities so far on the list, but they're all just great, fun. I mean, so much fun. You had something on November 14th, Cooking with Local Chefs. And yeah, that one, that one, the member who was putting that together, who just happened to be a chef, found that uh, he couldn't quite do that, so he substituted the Scottish Heroes event. So Scottish okay. Heroes number nine was, was in. Uh, the other events that are scheduled, you know, when we put together, you have to understand that the uh, Caledonian uh, event year is not a calendar year. Okay. Um, it runs from July 1 to June 30th. We put together our event calendar, the board does through a planning meeting in, uh, in August of every year. And uh, we lay it out again with the idea that at least some of these events, 21 to 22, uh, will be in person. 
So we set them up hoping they'll be in person, but they're the type that could be uh, switched to uh, to virtual if necessary. Is there a reason so, why it's June through or July through June? That's that's just the way the when the organization was formed. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's the, the calendar year, fiscal year of the of the society. Well, all of these events look absolutely amazing. I mean, any one of them would be a challenge for some historical societies or, or society to put together and pull it off, you know, successfully. I think these are great. When I started thinking about this cooking with local chefs, it's a shame it didn't come off as intended, but do you still eat haggis? I still eat haggis, and, I, and uh, my wife and I go to Scotland every year, okay. except, for, except for 2020. Yeah, we always take advantage of haggis is, is uh, offered in almost any restaurant. Yep. Uh, however, uh, Burns Night is somewhat of a challenge uh, because you need to get a local chef uh, to agree to do the haggis, okay. to, to uh, make the haggis, because, again, our normal in-person event run well over 100 people. And so we provide uh, chefs with recipes, sometimes alternate recipes. And then uh, we have members, a uh, small group, uh, that go out and do a pre-burned taste to make sure that uh, the, the individual chef is uh, able to produce a haggis that, uh, that our members want, want, uh, want to savor. Well, that brings me to my next say, question, which is, I kept wondering, what does a Hawaiian-inspired haggis really taste like? Well, I mean, their traditional um, recipes, there are some that we've gotten online. There was a haggis recipe that um, uh, some, a couple converted from uh, uh, from uh, the traditional innards of the of the lamb to more uh, acceptable beef or lamb pieces, okay. mostly um, the the meat and livers. Years ago, so we do have that recipe available. And again, there are various iterations that we can. I was picturing provide. haggis with pineapple. Well, I tell you, um, because we were went virtual in 2021, uh, we had to figure out, you know, how are we going to bring haggis into the uh, into the event? Yeah. And so there's a company uh, called the Caledonian Kitchen that, that does canned haggis, and oh, they do cool. it with sirloin beef, Highland beef, and lamb. And so the Caledonian Society purchased dozens of these cans and. We provided for for everybody who signed up for Burns Night. We did have a, a smaller group, um, <laughs> virtual. Uh, but what we did was we put together a, a goodie bag that included a can of haggis from the Caledonian Kitchen, some shortbread cookies manufactured locally, yeah. and some miniature bottles of, uh, of whiskey. <laughs> in, in Scotland, you say whiskey, it always means scotch. And we had those hand-delivered by two of our board members, one of whom is a Piper. So that was a, a bit of a, a nice part of the celebration uh, for the members who did, you know, did sign up. They got this package hand-delivered, uh, of course, with COVID distancing and masking and everything. But that went over. That was quite impressive, and the members uh, enjoyed that. It looks like that's 
the way we're going to go in 2022. Wow, that sounds great. I hate to interrupt here, Bruce, but we've got to go for another break for a few minutes. Listeners, we'll be right back with our guest, the chieftain of the Caledonian Society of Hawaii. Thank you for listening to Preservation Oaks. If you're a member of a museum, historical or genealogical society that has not yet been featured as a guest on our program, please let them know to contact preservationoaks at gmail.com. We welcome everyone. Thank you. Please stay on the line. We will be with you shortly. Non-emergency, how can I help you? I'm kinda worried. I think my wife is missing. When did you last see her? About an hour ago. An hour ago, huh? Well, let's see what today is. Ah, yes. It's been two weeks. Um, does she have a cell phone, sir? Have you tried to call her? Yep. It goes straight to voicemail. I've been trying for almost an hour. Okay, what's her favorite room in the house, sir? I'd say the bedroom. Have you looked in the bedroom, sir? Uh, no. She's probably listening to Preservation Oaks. Preservation Oaks now, really? You can listen to Preservation Oaks anytime by going to preservationoaks.podbean.com. Go check your bedroom, sir. I'll stay on the phone. Okay. This episode is so cool. Come listen. Hello. You still here? I'm still here. Yep. Found her. She's in there listening to Preservation Oaks. Boy, thanks a lot. She really loves Preservation Oaks. Of course she does. Every two weeks we get to hear great information from a different genealogical or historical society and we get these types of calls. Tell her I totally understand. I love the program myself, sir. Okay, will do. Hey, it's a new episode. I'm going in with her to listen. Sir, I'm hanging up now, sir. This is Carrie Eilert from the Cedar Falls Historical Society, and I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe and Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. If you have a society in your area, then please support them with both your volunteer time and your funding. Maintaining a society makes a huge difference in a community. Please don't wait. Show your support for your local historical or genealogical society today. They preserve our heritage and culture for existing and future children of all ages. Thank you. Yes, toddy, the chocolate malt in a can. It's so good hot. It's so good cold. It hits the spot with young and old. Yes, toddy pleases everybody. 
delicious chocolate malted toddy made with rich, real milk, not powdered milk. So come and get it, everybody. It's time to drink your chocolate toddy. You're listening to Preservation Oaks, where we celebrate the great work of historical and genealogical societies and give you the information you need to get involved and have fun doing it. You're listening to MicroStream Radio. Join us on this journey and become a patron today at patreon.com backslash microstream radio. If you'd like to give a one-time donation, go to paypal.com and send your gift to preservationoaks at gmail.com. 100% of your donations are used to support the program. Thank you for listening and being a part of our mission. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. All right, welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Mr. Bruce McEwen, the chieftain of the Caledonian Society of Hawaii. Bruce, is the Society planning to publish any more historical books? Um, we're not. Um, the, the book we have is, uh, actually uh, is in the second printing. We do have you know, an inventory of some books available, uh, but no, we don't have the... Uh, the expertise, the people who were most involved in, in the publication, the uh, historical editor, and um, the other movers and shakers behind uh, the uh, the publication are deceased. Uh, the people who were involved in actually doing the, the oral history portion of it, I'm the only survivor of, of that group. Okay. Um, and so we really don't have the, uh, the impetus right now to, to, to do that. It's just a project that, uh, at the, at the time that was done was appropriate for the Caledonian society. Uh, but unfortunately, um, that time is not going to be resurrected. Okay. How has uh, COVID-19 pandemic affected your society? You've mentioned that you've had to do virtual events, but in terms of the Hawaiian community, your members, how has COVID-19 affected you? Um, well, the main thing is that, um, you know, there's not been a lot of in-person activity going on. From the broader Scottish community standpoint, you know, we had the Highland Festival, uh, which is a collaboration of all the Scottish groups, yep. uh, was, uh, had to be canceled in 2020. Um, because it's, it's historically done the first or second week of April every year, and it was again canceled in 2021. There's some concern uh, that 2022 uh, may also need to be canceled. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, the big draw of the of the festival has always been mainland vendors, because the festival wasn't going on, and because of COVID, they weren't. Uh, able to come, and we're not sure when we're going to hear from you know from the mainland. When I call mainland vendors, these are the people who usually have either have made or have imported Scottish items uh, that are sold at the festival. Okay. Um, you know, we don't have any uh, local vendors who have produced Scottish wares, so to speak. So the, the, the 
board of the Hawaiian Scottish Association, which is made up of representatives from all of the Scottish organizations, is having a meeting in about uh, a week and a half in order to determine whether or not it looks like 2022 is going forward. The running joke we have right now, that's not a funny joke, is that 2020 was supposed to have been the 40th anniversary of the Highland Festival. Oh. We, we've had it deferred for two years, and the question is how many years are we going to defer it before we yeah. actually could celebrate the 40th Yeah. 40th. Uh, well, now we have Omicron that's, you know, raising its ugly head. I have no idea what it's like. I don't think the scientists have been able to tell us yet. No, and it's, and it's one of those things that it, it has been scary. I mean, Hawaii, we started out with the very few COVID incidents, and they built up and built up during 2020 and flared up again in 2021. So we still, the, the restrictions are starting to subside a bit now, you know, tourists are coming in, Yeah. you know, you know, it's still from the Scottish community standpoint, it still sort of seems touch and go whether by April we'll have enough reason both from tourists coming in, locals, and whether or not we can really um, effectively put together because a normal festival is at least nine months of planning. And obviously, we don't have that. Yep. And it all depends on Omicron and what's going to happen. Who knows what the next variant is that's coming down the line, right? Your society does so many traditional things, very, very worthwhile things and events that are fun. And I know COVID's curtailed some of that. But in order to sponsor all of those and, and pull them off, do you manage or maintain any facilities like gathering place or um we it was the caledonian society itself does not have a, a, a central location you know all of our documents and where's you know the the possession the property of the caledonian society is in you know we have a storage facility okay a commercial storage facility um, but the documents and those things are kept by the members who are responsible for their particular role, you know, in the in the society. For example, we have somebody who is in charge of a number of flags, and okay. uh, he takes great pride in maintaining those and bringing them out. Our, we have volunteers that that, that do uh, take responsibility for those things. Yeah, fantastic. Has the society received, or does the society receive any? like Scottish historical artifacts as donations from the public? And interesting enough, most what, what we get uh, mostly are contributions of Highland dress pieces, the, usually the wives of, of, of men uh, who have you know, invested in Highland dress. Uh, once their husbands pass away, uh, they donate you know, the, the various accoutrements, you know, the, the kilt, uh, jackets, hose, borens, being dues, dirk. We get those as uh, as donations. We do highlight those to our members because not all members are able to go to Scotland or go to a right. Highland store on the on the on the mainland and, and uh, get these things. And so, as a matter of fact, we had um, uh, one such donation from the the wife of a member, and one of our members picked it up immediately. 
uh, for these are for donations. They're donated to us, and people take them for donations. Right. Uh, you know, not they're not buying them from us. Right. Since we're a nonprofit, uh, we also currently we have a set of of, uh, of very old handcrafted. I guess clayware called buckingware. Okay. That's very famous. These are hand painted a set of dishes that were donated uh, several months ago, and uh, they are they've been advertised to our members uh, again for a donation. And some of these pieces are actually found on uh, on, on eBay because they are historical and because they're handmade, handcrafted. Um, they are at a pretty good price. So we have to, when we ask for donations, we have to take that into, you know, those value of these things yeah. into consideration. And now you call it Buckin Ware? Buckin, Buckin Ware. There's an area, in a, a town in in, uh, in Scotland called Buckin, B-U-C-H-A-N. Okay, thank you very much. Now you mentioned a, a number of volunteers. What kind of opportunities does the society have for members uh, to volunteer? What kind of jobs can they do? Is there some selection list or something? Well, the the mention again, the, the Highland Festival requires a lot of volunteer work, both managing the cultural exhibit that the Caledonian Society has, plus the various positions. Uh, needed to, you know, run a festival. Right. People manning different booths or acting as, as as runners or handing out programs, that type of thing. But again, we are a we're a member driven, events based organization. Uh, so we encourage our members to come up with ideas for programs. You know, I mentioned, you know, the Scottish Heroes. We've been successful in having members to do the research and come up with. Uh, you know, with PowerPoint events and and by what they learn in their research, they're able to contribute to the educational role of the society by by educating you know other members of the society. And those are the primary things. If we, of course, if we get asked uh, to participate, uh, you know, in a, any of these multicultural events, we'll reach out uh, for volunteers to help to either provide information normally. If we're there to, to provide uh, cultural materials, especially the ability to help hook people in the community up with a particular clan, you know, since we have a very extensive, we have a library of hundreds and hundreds of books, nonfiction, fiction, uh, uh, DVDs um, that are we can lend to our members. Oh, cool. uh, but we often bring those to events, and uh, they can be shared with the uh, with the public, so we need people to man those things. Very um, cool. So you've got something for just about anybody to do if they'd like to join the society and volunteer. That's correct. And as I said on the application, it asks, you know, what are people's interests, and those interests can help us, uh, you know, direct us to uh, member events, right? And where we can plug uh, plug members into uh, to some of the various activities. Uh, that we participate in. I want to bring to attention to the listeners, Caledonian Society of Hawaii has a Facebook page, so you can find them there. Um, they have a website, Scots, S-C-O-T-S, scotsinhawaii.org, and you can email them at info at scotsinhawaii.org. 
Um, they have a mailing address at P.O. Box 4164, Honolulu, Hawaii, 96812-4164. And I wondered, Bruce, what kinds of things can people do on the website? Can they join the society? Do you have stuff for sale there, purchase items? What can someone do? Uh, again, we, we don't have items to purchase. I mean, we do, if if we get these donations, we can put them on the uh, uh, pictures of them on the website that people who are interested in making a donation to get uh, you know get those items, they can do that. The website you know has uh, all of the newsletters on them. Uh, they have the application for membership. They have the the surge application. They have contact information uh, for our uh, board of directors members. You know, they have the history of the Caledonian Society. They can actually purchase the books. I guess I, I, I shouldn't uh, discount that. Uh, oh, we do, the books are available for purchase. Oh, great. So there's a lot of things you can do. I know the website when I went there has a ton of information on it about your programs, the Surge program, and, you know, just everything. And it, it's it's a great website. Now... You mentioned a lot of different things, Highland Games and so on, but a lot of things are changing because of COVID. Can you tell the audience or help us understand the highest priority, the current initiatives or the needs of the society right at this moment? Top priority is to increase our membership, as I mentioned earlier. Right. Trying to get younger people involved in learning more about their, their heritage. Uh, we believe that uh, if we can get people hooked on their heritage and, and willingness to uh, take part in the mission of the Caledonian Society, which is, again, a more educational focus, that will be their entrance into a, a long-life uh, interest in, in their heritage and learning about Scotland and the Scots. A lot of people who join the Caledonian Society, one of the first things they say is, oh, we really want to go to Scotland. We really want to visit Scotland. Yeah. And we tell them, you know, this is the place to learn about Scotland, learn about, you know, what you can expect when you go to Scotland, and um, gets them interested. We can help, you know, we have many people, as I said earlier, my wife and I go to Scotland every year. So we do have people who are resources to provide ideas and information about traveling to and from and in Scotland. Uh, which we're happy, you know, more than happy to share. And again, I think once people actually, those people who want to go to Scotland, once they're there, they're going to come back and say, all right, we want to do more for the Caledonian Society of Hawaii because now yeah. we understand Scotland better. Yeah, I mean, you're doing all the right things to increase your membership, in my opinion, because you're having events with K-12 through kids, you're having events with colleges, the surge program. It's just great what you're doing. So your society is trying to get involved or getting involved in all of the multicultural events in the Hawaiian, Hawaiian islands. I normally ask on the program, why, from your perspective, why is the society important to the community and what makes your organization different or unique from other societies? And I know you probably get that question all the time. But I tell you, what you've reviewed so far has totally blown me away in terms of how the society is unique and you're in, just embedded in the community. Is there anything else you would like to share along those lines? 
Well, part of this, I guess, is going to be a recap. But the Caledonian Society has been a fixture in Hawaii's multicultural community, you know, for 56 years. Plan to continue to be around and highlight Scottish culture for the younger people and give younger people a chance to take pride in their heritage, just like we older people have. You know, the the history of the Scots, both, as I mentioned, during the, the Kingdom of Hawaii, the participation of the Scots as members of the king's government, the Scots' um, contributions to the sugar plantation industry. Scots were involved as entrepreneurs. Uh, Many companies were started by Scots. The Scots have a, a, you know, historically considered to have a good, so I'll say a canny business sense, and that has helped uh, in the, uh, you know, the Scottish, the Hawaiian community, you know, over, over decades. And, and I, as I mentioned, the Scots intermarried, so there are a lot of people in the community who, for generations, have had uh, had links to Scotland through their, you know, through their Scottish heritage. Uh, one thing that the Scots I haven't mentioned this um, that the Caledonian Society did in the late '80s during one of the Highland festivals, uh, the Caledonian Society sponsored a tartan weaving contest. Oh, cool. And it was voted on by members of the community who attended that event. Over a period of decades, that tartan was registered in Scotland as the Hawaii tartan. I was going to ask you about that. In 2009, the Hawaii State Legislature um, recognized the tartan as the Hawaii tartan. There's often confusion. The Hawaii tartan is the tartan that recognizes the Scots in Hawaii. Uh, it's registered in Scotland as the Hawaii tartan. It is not the Hawaii state tartan, however. Okay. Uh, the legislature uh, recognized it as the Hawaii tartan, but it is not adopted by the state as the state tartan. Okay. And there's often some confusion there. Uh, there are a lot of us who have multiple kilts, in which I, I have uh, five different kilts, wow. different tartans. Uh, I do wear the Hawaii tartan kilt when I go to you know, Hawaii-based events and multicultural events so to show it off and to explain it. On our February event schedule, uh, we do plan events that's going to talk about the kilt and talk about the Hawaii tartan. And we hope that the, the, the young man, now an, an older man, uh, who actually... He invented the Hawaii tartan. It will be a speaker at that event. Now, do you have uh, a McEwen tartan? Uh, yeah, clan. McEwen is, a, is actually a clan. Okay. And all the clans in Scotland have tartans. So I have uh, a couple of uh, McEwen tartans, uh, one a modern and one a, what they call an ancient. And, cool. Uh, all, all that means is that the, uh, the colors of the, uh, of the wool in the tartan uh, the modern are bright colors, and the in the in the ancient are muted colors. Some clans have three or four different tartans for their particular oh, clan. I didn't Some of the more that. predominant, larger families, not not uh, uh, not Highland clans, but family clans, have their own tartan. Uh, my wife does in Cunningham; she has hers, and I have one of her tartans as, as one of my kilts. So. Very cool. The, the tartans are very important. If people research tartans, they're going to find that the the tartans as we know them today 
are a, sort of a, a, a modern. While tartans themselves have a historical base, historical history going back to you know to the early centuries, the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, that what we have now as the the, the list of tartans for people of, of Scottish heritage is really a resurgence that took place in the at the turn of the century, the late the 19th century. But the tradition is very important it is. Uh, to Scots throughout the world, perhaps even more than in Scotland. Yeah, it sounds like you guys in your society, you and your society, I should say, are really working hard to keep the traditions alive and to keep them exciting uh, to attract more members. The Highland Games have to attract people from all across the islands, I would imagine. Uh, it, it does. And when, it, it, on occasion, not, not on a regular basis, but on occasion, we can draw uh, internationally recognized heavy athletes. Remember, the Highland Games are, again, as we know, uh, with Burns and St. Andrews and Highland Festivals, are international. So there are Highland Games throughout the world, many in Scotland, right. but also in many places throughout the world. Um, and the draw um, Highland Games for heavy, what they call heavy athletes, these are the big, strong people that you um, indicated earlier, yeah, yeah. Um, travel, travel internationally <clears throat> to compete for awards, monetary awards is, uh, you know, trophies and stuff like that. And we haven't had the games that uh, can offer monetary awards yet, but we do. they do get Hawaii-based uh, awards when they participate here. Oh, very cool. Now, is there a section in the Highland Games for children? In some places there are. If we have a demand for it, we can put it in. But our games do have a, a women's competition. Oh, good. Uh, as well as a men's throwing uh, frying pans, for example, <laughs> and uh, throwing uh, uh, rolling pins. It's not quite the heavy athletes, but uh, we do have some of, of lighter weights that women can participate in. That's very cool. I want to remind listeners how to connect with the Society. The Caledonian Society of Hawaii has a Facebook page. The Caledonian Society of Hawaii has a website scotsinhawaii.org there's an email address info at scotsinhawaii.org and there's a mailing address which is p.o box 4164 honolulu hawaii 96812 bruce it looks like we're running out of time unfortunately so i gotta say and i think this means thank you so you'll have to tell me if it doesn't but mahalo that's the Hawaiian word for thank you. Yeah. Ah, good. If I can, if I can just say briefly as a closing, I sincerely appreciate the opportunity that this podcast has given me to stimulate interest in our organization and to tell people what we're all about. So again, mahalo back to you. You're very, very welcome. And the more we've learned, the more admiration you have from me, and I'm sure many of the listeners. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We've learned a lot. It's been a pleasure to learn how the Scots have had an impact on the Hawaiian Islands. And I've been very honored to meet you, sir. Good luck with your annual Robert Burns event and Happy New Year. It's time for us to go. Take care. Thank you. Aloha. 
from Robert Burns, Scottish poet, 1788, up in the morning early. Cold blows the wind frays to west. The drift is driving sailly. Say loud and shrills I hear the blast. I'm sure it's winter fairly. Up in the morning's no for me. Up in the morning early. When are the hills are covered is snow. I'm sure it's winter fairly. The birds sit chittering in the thorn. A day they fare but sparely. And langs the night fray and the morn. I'm sure it's winter fairly. Up in the morning's no for me. Up in the morning early. When are the hills are covered is snow. I'm sure it's winter fairly. And I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, that I love all the episodes of Preservation Oaks, but this episode in particular is why I love doing this program and love the format. Who would have guessed that the Scottish people and culture had such a history in Hawaii? Bruce McEwen was so kind to educate us on the facts of the richness of the history of the Scots in Hawaii. The Scots were a part of the royal family of Hawaii. Princess Kaiulani was half Scottish and the Caledonian societies and others hold a traditional tribute to Princess Kaiulani during the Scottish Highland Games annually. It's such a shame that the 2020-2021 Games were cancelled, and possibly the 2022 Games may have to be cancelled as well. We learned that 2020 was the 40th annual Highland Games, and the Scots in Hawaii have yet to be able to celebrate that with the people of Hawaii. Bruce told us all about why Robert Burns, the Bard of Scotland, is important to the world and why an annual Robert Burns Night is held in January for the Scottish National Poet. The Caledonian Society of Hawaii is doing so much each year to keep the people of Hawaii aware of the Scottish influence in the islands. There's the tribute to Princess Kaiulani and the Highland Games we've already mentioned. And then there are traditional ceremonial, and just plain fun events happening all the time. Go to their website and check it out. We learned about some of these, such as the SERGE SERG program, which assists young adults to complete a project normally in Scotland, the Scott of the Year Award for Community Service, the Robert Burns Night, the St. Andrew's Day Celebration, the Blessing of the Tartans, participation of the society in Hawaiian multicultural events of all kinds, and finally attending upon request events in schools and other places where a Scot is requested to attend. Bruce educated us about Robert Creighton Wiley, who served as a trusted advisor to the Hawaiian royal family until the overthrow of the kingdom in 1893. He sadly related the tragic death at just 24 years of age of Princess Victoria Kaiulani, who was educated in the UK and who passed away in 1899. We also learned about Archibald Scott Claghorn, who married into the Hawaiian royal family. We learned how the Scottish national flag got to be created and how St. Andrew became the patron saint of Scotland. It was very interesting. We found out that the Caledonian Society has been active for 56 years and how the top priorities are getting back to normal in-person events post-COVID and attracting and retaining young people across the islands for membership and leadership of the society going forward. Bruce told us about the oral interview project of people of Scottish descent in the islands 
and how that led to the publication of a book entitled The Story of Scots in Hawaii. That book is available from the Caledonian Society website and makes a fantastic gift. Bruce mentioned how the original oral histories and other valuable artifacts were donated to a local historical society and library where they are preserved in perpetuity. The Caledonian Society membership is open to anyone with an interest in Scotland and educating the public in the history and culture of the Scots in Hawaii and learning about Scotland. There are so many fun events going on all the time. Please see the list on the Society website. It just makes sense for anyone who wants to contribute to the community to join and support the Society. I have to say with all honesty and sincerity that whether you're a member of the Society or not, participating in the annual tribute to Princess Kaiulani ceremony at the Royal Family's Mausoleum would be up there at the top of my list of things to make certain I observe annually. There were a thousand questions I could have asked Bruce McEwen during our time together, but could not in the interest of time. If questions occur to you and you would like more information, please connect with the Society via the contact information provided. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves, or if you're a listener who values the history of Hawaii or Scottish ancestry and you're not already a member, please do yourself a favor by joining and supporting the Society. The Society's website and contact information. The Caledonian Society of Hawaii has a Facebook page, so you can find them on Facebook. The Caledonian Society of Hawaii's website is Scots, S-C-O-T-S, in Hawaii, all one word, dot org. Scotsinhawaii.org. You can email them at info at scotsinhawaii.org. And their mailing address is P.O. Box 4164, Honolulu, Hawaii, 96812-4164. I hope this information helps everyone like me understand how valuable the Caledonian Society of Hawaii is to the community and what kinds of excellent benefits they have to offer to their members and to the public. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Scott Holmes and Cymbal Bird, Slangte with Jig of Slurs, The Cross of Anug, and She Moved Through the Fair, Ease Jammy Jams, Domiano Baldoni with Celtic Warrior, Chris Hagen with Hawaii Easy Seas, and the poetry of Robert Burns. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted 2021 by Microstream Radio. It cannot be commercially rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere for commercial purposes without the written permission of Microstream Radio. Thanks to everyone for listening. Happy New Year! This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time for another episode of Preservation Oaks. <laughs>